Paul is writing to real Christians in a real place in Ephesus. It might have been one church that he's writing to, or it could have been lots of little churches all around the city. And these Christians were facing daily trials, just like you and just like me. They were facing temptations and pressures. They were very aware of how small they were in a city that was clearly uh, showing people that there were other idols that people worshipped. They went, uh, people remember gathered from all over the world to go to this temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana, to worship the goddess there. And so, as the Christians maybe came together on a Sunday to meet, they would be in the shadow of this temple. They would see others going there. And maybe they would feel the pull to go back to their old life. Maybe they'd feel the temptation to go back to what they used to do. It would be so much easier just to go along with the crowd, to go along with the flow. They were nervous about persecution. They might have been going through it, or they certainly were aware that it could be coming. Paul was right into them from a prison because he was there for preaching Jesus. And they were scared that they would be next. So they were feeling weak. They were feeling small. They were feeling vulnerable. They had their struggles. And in this passage that we look at today, Paul prays for them. He prays for them twice in this uh, letter, and he writes out his prayer. And as I said, the interesting thing about this prayer is he doesn't pray for their situation. He doesn't pray for them to be taken out of their situation. But what he does is he prays for them in their situation to grasp truths about God and about who they are in Jesus so that that can help them through. He prays for them to understand these unshakable truths about Christianity and being a Christian that can help them whatever they face. Now, that doesn't mean, as we think about prayer, that we don't pray um, for situations uh, to change and for our circumstances to be different. We think of what Jesus, how Jesus taught us to pray. Remember what he said? Give us this day our daily bread. He prayed for us to pray for our needs and our circumstances. We see elsewhere Paul saying, look, remember to pray for your leaders, the political leaders. Pray for them. So we're not saying this morning, don't take this to say don't pray for our circumstances, but isn't it interesting to see here, Paul doesn't so much pray for their situation to change, but he prays them to know a truth in a deeper way so that they can help them whatever they go through. Now this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, God hasn't promised you a life free from pain and discomfort and sorrow and sadness and trials and temptations. No, we will go through those. But we've got a God who has promised to be with us in those situations and in those circumstances. So as we look at Paul's prayer this morning, we're going to see four things that are true for everybody who trusts in Jesus. And these truths will encourage us And they will help us to keep going whatever circumstances we're in. If we grasp these truths, they will give us this unshakable confidence in God, whatever we face. Now, maybe this morning you're here and you're not a Christian and you're exploring and you're thinking, is is this true or not? Well, as you look, again, listen in and see, this could be mine. There is an offer today for this to be true for you. That's all you have to do is trust in Jesus and turn to him. So what are these four truths that Paul wants these Christians to believe? What are the four truths that can help us to get through our circumstances, whatever we face this morning? The first is this. You are an encouragement. You are an encouragement. 
Paul has spoken about these amazing privileges and the riches of Christians in Jesus in chapter 1. And then, uh, at the start of this uh, chapter, uh, verse in verse 15, he says, because of this. So, because of all the reasons that I've just said, because of the amazing truths that you are in Christ, and everything that is true for Jesus is now true for you, because of the amazing truths that you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are loved, you are treasured, you are chosen. Because of all these things, Paul says, I want to thank God for you. I thank God, he says, for you. Do you see that in verse 15? Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, God has rescued these Ephesians, Christians, and, God say, and Paul says, I thank God for you. God has saved you. Do you see what that means? They haven't saved themselves. He doesn't say, well done you for trusting in Jesus. He said, no, I thank God that he has saved and rescued you. God gets the glory, not him. God gets the glory, not them. Because God's in all the saving. So Paul says, I thank you that you're saved. I thank you that you're trusting in Jesus. I thank you that you're following him. But how does he know? How does he know that these Christians are trusting in Jesus. Well, look what he tells. He said, I've, I've noticed these two things. I've heard of these two things about you. And these two things are marks of a true Christian. You see what he says in verse 15? I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. These are two marks of believers. So if you're wondering, what, what does it mean? Am I a Christian? These are two things that are evidence that, that God is at work in us. The first is this. I've heard that you've had faith in Jesus. You trust that Jesus is all you need. What is a Christian? Somebody who's put their faith in Jesus. As one person has described it, faith is the opening of a clenched fist, saying, yes, I, I need help. I need you, Jesus. Somebody who says, I can't do this on my own. I can't be good enough for God on my own. I can't do it. I can't live life on my own. I need Jesus. I need a savior. And somebody who's put their faith in Jesus, somebody who said, no to self, yes to him. Jesus, I need you. You're my all. You're my only hope. Somebody who's realized that Jesus lived a life that they could never have lived. Somebody who's realized that Jesus died in their place on the cross. Somebody who realized that he rose again so that one day they would rise again. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Now imagine this morning that you are standing before God. It's the end of your life and you stand before God and God says, why should I let you into heaven? What's your answer? See, if we start to turn to what we've done, well, I went to church a few times, uh, you know, I, I prayed a few times, I gave to charity, I, I did this, I did that. If we turn to ourselves, our faith is it's showing that our faith is in us and not in Jesus. But if God says to us, why should I let you into heaven? And we say, Jesus, he's my only hope. He's the only answer I've got then we see the gates of heaven. <laughs> they fling open at the name of Jesus. Our only hope is him. And Paul looks at these Christians and he says, your faith's in Jesus. God's done that. God has helped you to see that you need him. And that is a massive encouragement. That is supernatural. So this morning, if your trust is in Jesus, you are a huge encouragement. There is a supernatural work uh, going on in your life. So as you look around this morning, look at somebody who God is at work in. Be encouraged. You are an encouragement. 
Because the first kind of mark of a Christian is they have faith in Jesus. Do you see the second mark there? I heard of your faith in Jesus, which I'm thrilled about, but as well I've heard about your love towards all the saints. Paul has heard that there is love between these Christians. Now, when we see the word saints, don't think of super Christians who've done some, some, um, something amazing to get that status. No. In the Bible, a saints is always talking about normal, everyday Christians. Okay? Not super Christians. Normal Christians who put their faith in Jesus. And he's heard how they love one another. They love other Christians. So they love to be together. They love to pray for one another. They love to support and encourage one another. Uh, they love to be doing these acts of love towards one another. He's heard about it. And he's heard that it's all the saints, not just some of them, not just the ones who get on well naturally, not just the ones who, would, um, who you get on with, but no, all the saints, those who are different. See, when you realize that you have no hope in yourself except for Jesus, and when you realize that God has saved and rescued you, and you see that is true for other people, you have a, a bond there and a unity there that is wonderful and that is supernatural. And you love other Christians. You will love other Christians who maybe you don't know that well, but you know you have this thing in common that binds you together, that unites you. And so a mark of a Christian is somebody who looks at other Christians and says, you know, I, I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. And we're one together in Jesus. That is something that is deep. You can go the other side of the world and go to a church and you can talk to somebody and you know they're trusting in Jesus and you will have a connection with them that is deep and rich, that is unexplainable really. And you know that one day you'll be forever in glory, not because of our works, but what Jesus has done. So this morning for us, do you love one another? Do we love one another? As we think of one another, do we th are we thrilled with thankfulness because we have faith in Jesus and we love one another? Whatever the background, Wherever our history, we can be one in Jesus. Now, this morning, as we think again of our situation and the things we're seeing on the news in Ukraine, we have brothers and sisters there, those who are fleeing because the bombs are dropping, those who are staying because that's what they feel God is calling them to. Do we love them? Let's pray for them this morning. Whatever backgrounds we see, and there's stories coming out now in Ukraine of Christians pulling together from all different backgrounds, uniting together to, to serve and help where they are. Let's pray for them in that. So this morning, the first thing, the first truth to grasp that's going to help us, whatever our circumstances, is this. You are an encouragement. You might feel this morning like you're limping along spiritually. You might feel like you're, you're really struggling. You're maybe not feeling like you're going anywhere. If your faith is in Jesus and there is a love there for other Christians, then you need to rejoice. I need to see you are an encouragement. God is at work. You're safe. You're saved. And that filled Paul's heart with thanks. And I pray that it fills all of our hearts with thankfulness for one another as we see that. You are an encouragement. Now, the passage changes from this point onwards after verse 16, because Paul kind of, to sum up his prayer here, he is praying in verse 17 this. I pray this, that the Lord, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. So Paul is praying, look, 
I pray that the triune God, remember when people say the Trinity isn't the Bible, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, fact, but when you see verses like this, look what we see, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. See, Father, Son, and Spirit, all involved, Paul is saying, I pray that the triune God would help you to understand something. I pray that he might give your spirit, your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. He's not saying, I pray that you would learn a few new truths about God. He is praying, these things that you already know, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would really get. There's a difference, isn't there, between knowing something in our mind and experiencing it. I could tell you this morning that chocolate is sweet and tastes nice. And imagine now that you've never tasted chocolate. What a situation to be in. But imagine that. And there's a difference between, okay, chocolate is sweet and tastes nice. But then when you put a bit of chocolate in your mouth, well, now you know what that is. Yeah, it's not just a, a, an intellectual knowledge, but you know it. And your life is then changed as a result. And you will be buying chocolate from that time forth. Sorry for anybody who's trying to give it up at the moment. But you know what I mean? It, it changes your life when you experience it. Paul is saying, I pray on a much greater level than chocolate. I pray that these truths, your, the eyes of your heart will be opened up to see how glorious they are. And when they do, it'll change your life. So he goes on then to pray for these, these three things. And as we look at these three things, they're not kind of, um, you know, you, when you hear them, you think, well, we've heard that before. You will, I know that. But as we look through them, let, let, let's ask each one of us this question. As I ask myself as we look at this passage, am I really living as if that's true? Have the eyes of my heart been enlightened to that? Am I tasting the effect of that on my life? Because the reality is we know these truths. You've heard them before. But the reality is also this. We forget them. And we don't live in the light of them. If it says here, doesn't it, uh, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened which means our heart's eyes can be darkened to these truths. He's praying that they are, their eyes are open to him. So, what are these truths? We've seen that he prays and said, look, you're an encouragement. But these next three things are the things he prays. This, here's the second heading today. You have a glorious hope. You have a glorious hope in verses 17 and 18. See that having the eyes of your, verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So he is praying here, I pray that you would grasp and understand and experience that you have a hope that nobody can take away from you. The Bible, when it uses the word hope, isn't, remember, fingers crossed hope like we use it, like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain this week. No, the Bible's use of hope is it's a certainty. So he is saying, look, you're trusting in Jesus. Your faith is in him. That means you are in Christ. So everything that's true for Jesus is true for you. That means that because of his death and resurrection, you, it's as if you have died and paid the price for your sins because he died. It's as if you have been raised again and, and, the, and the, um, because he is raised, one day you will rise as well. Christ's future becomes your future. Where he is now in glory is where we are headed. And that is a hope that nobody can take away from us. We are on our way to heaven. We are on our way to be with him forever. 
Now, remember verses 9 and 10 that we looked at many weeks ago now in chapter 1. He says there, and he says, Jesus, one day, all things are going to be united under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to fix everything that's broken about this world. And we will be part of that plan if our trust is in Jesus. We'll be part of a world made new. Just think on that again this morning. A world without wars, without bombs, without refugees, without evil leaders. A world without sin and temptation and struggles. A world without hurt or pain or cancer or depression. A world where there'll be no more doubting of God's goodness or his existence. A world where we will be with God and we will know his presence with us as we were created to know in the beginning. We will live in his presence forever. That's the future for everybody who trusts in Jesus. That is the end. Now, until we get there, the Bible doesn't say, that's it, now you won't have any more problems. No. We will have struggles. There will be darkness. There will be pain. And there will be sadness. We're in the middle of the story, aren't we? The end of the story is a happy ending. But we're in the middle where there's struggle and strife and tears and pain. But there's a happy ending coming. Now, you know that truth if you're a Christian this morning. You know that if your trust is in Jesus, you're on your way to glory. But let's ask that question again. Are you living as if that's true? Are you living in the light of that? Maybe this morning you're feeling hopeless. In a situation that you're in, whatever it is, maybe relationally, uh, maybe physically, maybe uh, circumstantially in your work or in your home, things just feel hopeless and dark and there's no way out. And you feel like giving up. When we realize there's an end that is happy for the, those who are trusting in Jesus, it injects every moment with hope. Jesus has got this, it will be okay, ultimately. You are safe and you're on your way to be with him forever. Can you see the, the buoyancy that should give us? You know what I mean by buoyancy? A buoyancy aid, isn't it? It's something if you put it underwater, you can't keep it under for long because it'll just keep popping up. We will go under as Christians. There'll be times where we just feel under. But the hope that can't be taken away from us, that we're on our way to a happy ending forever with Jesus, should pop us back up. Paul is praying, I want your heart's eyes to see this. I want you to get this deep in your heart. Have you? Do you? You have a glorious hope four truths to help us through whatever we're facing. You are an encouragement, supernatural work had gone on in your heart. <clears throat> you have a glorious hope that nobody can take away from you. And remember, if you're listening to this and you're not a Christian, this could be yours. It's free. Jesus has done it all. What's the next truth? It comes up in verse 18, and it's this. Whatever our circumstances is true, you are precious to God. You are precious to to God. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> Have the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know the, what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, what is he talking about there? He is talking about God's inheritance, his glorious inheritance in the saints. 
he is praying that we would understand and live in the light of God's inheritance. Now, he isn't talking about our inheritance, what we will get because of Jesus and we're co-heirs with Christ. No, he's talking about God's inheritance. Now, what is that? Now, we looked at this a few weeks ago in verse 11, because he was talking there about uh, referring back to the Old Testament and inheritance and what he was talking about there. In Deuteronomy 7, God says this, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be the people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. What is God's inheritance? What is God's thing that uh, amazes him, that fills his heart with wonder? What is the thing that thrills him? His inheritance, his treasured possession is you, his people. You are deeply loved and deeply valuable to God. You are his precious inheritance. I heard this illustration this week to get this across, but I've adapted a bit. Um, but some people are really hard to buy gifts for, aren't they? Maybe there's somebody in your family and you think when it's their birthday or when Christmas comes, you think, oh, what are we going to get them? Because they just seem to have everything. And so you think, well, what, what can I get? But imagine for a moment that you had to buy a present for the richest man in the world, Elon Musk. Um, imagine you had to buy a present for him. What could you get him that would make him go, wow? Because he has the money to buy whatever he wants. He could get whatever he wants, and so how could you get him something to make him go, wow? If that's the case for someone like him, what about God? What could God possibly want that would take his breath away? What could God possibly want that moves his heart and he deeply treasures? Well, this verse's answer is, it's you. You are his treasured possession. Zephaniah 3 tells us this. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. You bring joy to the heart of God. Now, can you see why Paul prays? that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened. We thought about this a few weeks ago, not that long ago, but we've forgotten it already, haven't we? Have we lived in the light of this truth from that moment till now, that we are deeply precious to God? Think through, let's think through the impact. What would it look like if this really was true in our lives? Well, maybe this morning you feel full of inferiority. You just feel rubbish. You feel like a failure. You look at your life and it's not as you hoped. You look at how you've let people down around you. You look maybe and you feel full of shame. But then bring this truth to play. You are precious to God. Maybe you feel like you don't live up to your own expectations or those around you. Maybe you think your family and friends look at you and you just feel like a failure. Look at how precious you are to God. Look at how much you mean to him. Again, this helps us. Whatever our circumstance, we doubt when things are tough, don't we, that God loves us. When things go wrong, we think, well, if this is happening to me, does God really care? You are his treasured, precious inheritance. That means when somebody says a word against you and criticizes you, when you've made a mistake or let someone down, it's not the end of the world. 
it doesn't need to crush our spirits because you're loved by God. It means that when you think nobody cares, when it looks like nobody notices, when you're going around your daily life and uh, you just seem to be on your own, you think, well, what's the point? God notices and he cares. Maybe this morning you're trying to find your worth somewhere in this world. Maybe by finding the right relationship, by finding the right job, by finding, getting the right finances, by um, seeing success in your children or grandchildren. Those things, if we find our worth in them, they're uncertain. One day they could be good, the next day they could be bad, and one day they could just not be there at all. And so for, we'll always be nervous, we'll always be worried, we'll always be unsure and living a life of fear, anxiety, because our worth is dependent on something that, is un, that, is, um, that could go at any point, that is uncertain. But when you find your worth in what God thinks of you, that never changes. It gives us a security and a peace that transcends circumstance. Lord, help the eyes of our, our, our hearts to see this. Do you see why we need to pray that? I, don't, I know this, I can hear this, but I want to live this, I want to taste this. You are an encouragement, supernatural work gone on in your heart. You have a glorious hope. You have a precious to God. And the last thing he prays here is this, and, and the, the truth that we need to grasp is this. You have access to an amazing power. You have access to an amazing power. You see what he says that in um, verse 19. He's praying uh, that what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. So Paul prays for the Ephesians. He's saying, I pray that you would see the access to the power that you have, the power that you have access to, the power at work within you. We might think, well, what kind of power are we talking about here, Paul? What are we talking? You know, how much power? Well, Paul says this, well, let me show you what power. I'll illustrate it for you in Jesus. Verse 20, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You have access to the same power, the power that took a dead body and brought it back to life, the power that took a still heart and made it beat again, the power that took deflated lungs and those lungs began to inflate the power that took uh, a still rigid body and made it move again. That power we have access to. Not only that, because remember, think of Lazarus. Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, didn't he? But Lazarus would have had a funeral in the end, eventually. But Jesus never had a funeral because he rose again and that was it. He's alive forevermore. So he brought somebody from death to life forever. That power we have access to. Not only that, but verse 20, it is the power that seated Christ at the right hand of the Father. The power that took him from earth to heaven, seated at the right hand. And the power, verse 21, that placed him above every other authority and dominion, a name that is named in every, any and every age. Paul is saying, this is a power that is greater than any power. You might see, he says, people praying to this God Artemis. You might see things of the occult all around you. You might see these idols and these evil spirits that people are praying to. God is more powerful. 
He is the name above every name. Above anything that's ever named, he is the one who is greater. Jesus is above them all, and you have power, access to that power. And the last thing he says, verse 22, and he put all things under his feet. So the power that rules on high and that is more powerful than any other power, that is what we have access to. And who's all this power for? Verse 22, uh, 23 and 22. And gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of all who fills all. Now that verse at the end there, the fullness of him who fills all in all, what does that mean? I'm not really sure, to be honest. It's really hard to understand, isn't it? What is he getting at there? But it, it is touching on this. The one who is in control of all things, the one who rules over all, has a special place for his church and fills us, and he cares deeply about us, and he won't let us go. My God is powerful. We sing with the children. You know, we sing it every Friday night. Our God is a great big God. We sing, you know, um, my, with the toddlers on a Tuesday. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing that he can't do. These are truths that we know. And maybe we've known from a very young age. But do you see why we need to pray, Lord, help me to know that I have access to this power, that you are powerful, and that you want to give me strength to live this life. If we believe this, that we had access to this power, how would that affect your family life? How would that affect your work? How would that affect the struggles that we go through in parenting or uh, the struggles we go through in work and the despairs we have? How would it affect our temptation, how we view it? How would, we affect, how would that affect how we speak to others about Jesus? We have access to this amazing power. It's very easy for us to feel small, isn't it, and insignificant. Very easy for us to think of the other powers that are out there and the influences that are around, and we might think, well, there's no, you know, we, we feel so small, and look at the power we have access to. Supernatural strength to help us. So that means whatever the struggle, whatever uh, the, the, the temptation, whatever the darkness we might experience and feel, our God is bigger and can strengthen us and can help us through it. This is how one person put it. If God doesn't seem big enough to sort out all the world's problems, you're thinking of the wrong God. If God doesn't seem big enough to sort out the world's problems, you're thinking of the wrong God. And again, let's bring that closer to home. If God doesn't seem big enough to sort out your mess and all of your problems, then you're thinking of the wrong God. We have access to glorious power. Let that strengthen us this week as we seek to live for Jesus in our personal lives daily, as we seek to uh, tell others about him, as we witness for him, as we face the trials and the struggles that we have. We have access to a glorious power. How do we show that we know that? Well, we pray, like Paul does here. Lord, help me to depend on you today. Lord, I need you now. Just a scatter prayer throughout our lives. Lord, help me in my need. You are an encouragement, Paul says. Listen to that truth. You are an encouragement. You have a glorious hope. You are precious to God, and you have access to an amazing power. Let's pray that these truths enlighten our heart and fuel us as we taste them and live 
uh, transformed lives in the, as a result. Let's pray uh, as we come before we sing our last song together. Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for this prayer that shows us some truths which, if we grasp, would be trans life transforming. We ask, Lord, please, would you help us to live as if these were true? Open the eyes of our heart to see them. And Lord, we pray, if there's anyone who hasn't yet put their trust in you, would they this morning turn to you and say that they need you, cry out to you and ask for that forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that that is, offer, uh, is open to everyone and anyone. So we pray that you do that even today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>